You are listening to the Progress Your Health Podcast, Episode 12. Welcome to the Progress Your Health Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Robert Mackey and Dr. Valerie Davidson, a husband and wife team who specialize in bioidentical hormone replacement therapy and functional medicine. They're here to help you lose weight, balance hormones, and age gracefully. It's their mission to motivate, educate, and empower you to take your health to the next level. And now your hosts, hormone experts, Dr. Mackey and Dr. Davidson. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Progress Health Podcast. I'm Dr. Mackey. And I'm Dr. Davidson. Uh, so today we're going to extend or continue our series on, you know, quote unquote, metabolic hormones. Last episode, uh, we talked about glucagon, we talked about insulin, we talked about uh, some enzymes, lipoprotein lipase and hormone sensitive lipase. Those are obviously terms and substances that we don't really talk a lot about. We, you know, m- most people never talk about glucagon. Those enzymes I just mentioned, people never really discuss those. Uh, but now we're going to transition into the adrenal hormones, right? Adrenal issues in general obviously are very popular in the functional medicine space. Uh, and, you know, I think there's um, a lot of really good information online, but there's also some misinformation online when it, uh, when it pertains to adrenals. Uh, so we're going to, you know, kind of discuss that a little bit. And uh, predominantly today, we're going to talk about three. We're going to talk about cortisol. Uh, we're going to talk about epinephrine and norepinephrine, or you're across the pond, they call it adrenaline or noradrenaline. Uh, and those are really pretty much synonymous. They're exactly the same thing, depending on, you know, where you live in the world. So Dr. Davidson, why don't you, why don't we start off, uh, you know, it's still weird calling you Dr. Davidson, uh, <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, uh, why don't we start off talking about cortisol? That's the one that everyone is familiar with and knows the most about. Oh, there's so much information on cortisol and cortisol has a tremendous effect on our body. Without cortisol, we'd be dead. But in in regards to this podcast episode, we're going to talk about how cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine contribute to weight gain or weight loss. That's kind of our key point on this because we've talked about adrenals before in terms of fatigue and energy, but this one's going to be about how we gain weight through by way of epinephrine, norepinephrine and cortisol, or we could possibly work on them so that we can lose and maintain our weight, which is what most of us want to do, of course. So with cortisol, cortisol is what they call a glucocorticoid. So it's similar to like what we talked about with glucagon um, in the previous episode is that cortisol helps us mobilize glucose so that we can keep our glucose in our bloodstream level so it doesn't drop and we pass out and die. So cortisol is supposed to help us get from meal to meal. Of course, in our lifestyle, we have lots of meals available to us at any frequency that we want. But in our systems are set up that we might not actually get a meal as frequently as probably most Americans do. Yeah, right. Yeah. And like I said, you have breakfast and then, uh, you know, three, four, five, six hours later, uh, then you have another meal. Your insulin blood sugar levels are decreasing. Your glucagon and cortisol levels are rising. Uh, now, one distinction or one clarification. So last episode, we talked about glucagon, which raises blood sugar. And it does that predominantly through a process that we didn't mention called gluc- glycogenolysis, which is the breakdown of glycogen predominantly in the liver. Uh, you also have glycogen in your muscles. Uh, but as we talked about, you know, you, you and I were comparing sizes yesterday, right? You have a finite amount of glycogen. I have a finite amount of glycogen. I'm quite a bit bigger than you. So my glycogen stores are, are more than yours. Uh, so if we're, uh, you know, in a, 
in a starvation state, right? We were stranded somewhere on a mountaintop or in a desert island, which wouldn't be bad. You know, I wouldn't mind being stranded on a desert island with you. Our uh, uh, my your glycogen stores would would deplete faster than mine would, right? Just because I have more. So glucagon has an effect on glycogen breakdown, and now cortisol, as we're talking about, that stimulates gluconeogenesis, which is basically the breakdown of muscle tissue. Glucose is a very, or excuse me, cortisol is a very powerful catabolistic hormone that breaks down muscle tissue, which then those amino acids as the muscle tissue, which is a protein broken down into amino acids, the amino acids are then turned into glucose in the liver. So while I was saying cortisol is really important, we don't want to have too much cortisol around for extended amounts of time because what's it going to do is it's going to break down our muscle tissue and that's not our goal. Our goal is a course, to build muscle tissue and to maintain muscle tissue. So what in terms of, you know, weight loss and weight management is we want to make sure we keep that cortisol level at kind of a lower level, because if you have higher levels of cortisol, you're going to have higher levels of glucose breakdown from the muscles, which then in turn, as we talked about in the previous podcast about insulin, insulin, you know, the pancreas says, hey, there's some glucose around regardless of where it came from. Of course, it's coming by way of cortisol. And then it releases the insulin. Insulin takes that glucose and then it stores it as fat cell. So that's why everybody says, I never used to have this stomach, you know, this stomach and they'll grab their stomach and say, I never used to have a stomach. And that's because over time, that elevated level of cortisol ends up causing belly belly fat. So when you see those commercials that say high cortisol, high belly fat, that in some ways it's true. Of course, there's so much more of a complexity of the mechanism behind that, but it is true. So our goal is to try to keep that cortisol down. Now, what's kind of interesting with cortisol is cortisol just doesn't come up when you're starving. So, you know, your caloric restriction, I'm going to go on a diet and stop eating is, yeah, your cortisol is going to be elevated because of that. But cortisol also comes up when you're not starving yourself. You're just really stressed out. Yeah, right. We were talking as we were doing some planning before this episode, we were, you know, were talking about some scenarios and how that happened in everyday life. Uh, you know, you were talking about uh, driving in the car, right? You know, traffic, uh, road rage, maybe not yeah, the one. I don't have road rage. Well, you don't. But, you do. Uh, but every, no, I'm just kidding. I, I do not. Uh, you know, I drive back and forth between Las Vegas and California uh, quite often, and it is amazing and how how angry people are on the road. There is just so much rage that people have just by some something simple. You don't put on your blinker. You inadvertently cut them off. You are driving too slow, and people are just literally instantly in a fit of rage. Um, you know, their cortisol is going up, and is because you're the recipient of that anger and stress, your cortisol goes up. You know, it is, you know, is it avoidable? You know, in some situations, things like that are not avoidable. You get a nasty email. You and I were talking about that too. You get a nasty email and all of a sudden, you know, the hairs in the back of your neck stand up and you start feeling a sense of stress or agitation, right? That means your cortisol is going up. You know, there's limited, there's unlimited possibilities in our society nowadays of where things that stimulate the rise of cortisol. We are also talking about virtual reality. People are putting themselves with these masks on, the uh, the goggles, whatever they are, in these, uh, you know, kind of zombie apocalypse uh, shooting, you know, role-playing type games. Uh, the brain cannot differentiate between virtual reality or reality. You are automatically going through all the series of hormonal responses, which in my opinion, I think is going to cause some big problems down the road for people. 
Oh, yeah, even watching a scary movie, you're talking about zombie apocalypse. Whenever I've watched that show, Walking Dead, now, granted, I have not, I know there's like 18 seasons of it. I think we're through like three or two, but it's, that causes a cortisol to go up. That's really scary. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think that there's, you know, that's the, that's the appeal, right? It makes you feel that way. So you want to keep watching it. But even watching a TV show like that, sometimes your brain, your body is going through these physiologic responses. If you're going through the physiologic response, that means your brain can't differentiate. Uh, you know, and that's where I think that we have a lot more stimuli that does that in 21st century than we ever used to before. Uh, now, and that's, like you said, now that's where, you know, when we're talking in the context of weight loss and weight gain, um, that, you know, that potentially has a negative effect on us over time. Yes, yeah, sure. So, you know, we had, you know, comfort food, everybody talks about comfort food and mood food. And of course, comfort food and mood food are usually carbohydrates and sugar. So you think you're stressed out because of a situation, something's going on in your life that's not going to kill you because it's not life or death, but it's really, you know, it's really stressful. So we go and turn towards some comfort food and then you eat it. And you're already stressed, so your cortisol's already up, and then you eat that food that turns straight into glucose in your bloodstream. So it's like insulin on top of insulin. So it's going to accelerate your ability to gain fat. That's when people say, you know what, I don't eat that much food. I don't eat a lot, but because of the level of cortisol in their bodies at a continuous amount of time throughout the day, when they do eat, especially something that's carbohydrate or sugar, you know, has sugar in it, they're going to store that more quickly into a fat cell and gain weight, of course, in the middle than somebody else that has lower levels of cortisol. Right. And the other thing that we are talking about is because of the stressful environment, um, you can have a rise to cortisol, which then you know, stimulates gluconeogenesis, which then makes your blood sugar go up regardless if you're in a fasting state or in a well-fed state, right? So if you just ate a meal and you get a stressful email, your cortisol goes up, you're putting blood sugar on top of blood sugar. Uh, another thing we were doing a little bit of research and uh, an interesting thing about cortisol as well, an interesting thing about cortisol as well is that uh, it decreases the uptake of glucose on a peripheral level. So basically it inhibits, not completely, but inhibits or decreases the absorption or the transport of glucose across muscle tissue. It's preserving it for the brain and the nervous system or the brain and the heart, you know, the nervous system collectively and the heart um, as almost like a protective mechanism. So now you get this rise to blood sugar it can't get into the cells properly. Your your uh, insulin is then stimulated, but then there is no utilization of that blood sugar. You're just sitting at your desk uh, dealing with and processing a terrible email or you're watching TV on the couch, playing a video game or watching The Walking Dead. Um, not a good scenario. Yeah. So if you're going to be watching The Walking Dead, you should be doing some jumping jacks at the same time and utilizing that that excess fuel that's been been mobilized from your, you know, glucose for glucose. Yeah. Yeah. In some ways, pretend like those we were talking about this too. You pretend like the zombies are really chasing you. And now you're utilizing that that extra glucose that's coming out into your bloodstream. Uh, you know, that might actually be somewhat beneficial, right? Because you're stimulating. I'm we're just kidding. But well, yeah, um, um, but at least hypothetically, anyways, it kind of makes some sense. So it does make that deserted beach idea kind of a nice idea because then you're relaxed and not stressed as long as you you know 
you had the amenities that you wanted, and then your cortisol would be low. But of course, we all can't go live at Club Med. Yeah, right. Uh, now, the other thing that when that process is happening, we're talking about cortisol, and it's going up, you know, uh, you know, you're getting these spikes of cortisol throughout your day, uh, not to mention the more blood sugar regulation you have, or irregularity you have, it's going to cause more fluctuation to blood, uh, to uh, uh, glucose, or excuse me, to cortisol levels. Uh, the enzyme we mentioned yesterday, lipoprotein lipase, cortisol basically increases the activity of that enzyme. So the more cortisol you have, the more active LPL is, the more you're going to store fat. Um, that's why, you know, from the rise in insulin and then the more activity of the LPL, that's why you end up redistributing that weight around the middle. And uh, in some ways, that's what we refer to as that non-caloric weight gain. Your calories don't matter much if you're in that chronic stress situation, because uh, we all know those people, right? There's Probably 10% of the population, when they get stressed out, they lose weight, right? 90% of us um, that get stressed out, we all gain weight. Okay, maybe not right in the moment when the stress is happening. It might happen a little bit after um, the stress is over, your body does. And that's really what cortisol is there for, is to protect you in the moment. Right? Whether it's a traumatic experience, a physical experience, whatever it might be, your, your brain kind of goes into survival mode, your cortisol goes up. Uh, and because of that you know, cortisol rise for a day, a week, a month, or, or however long it might be, it's in some ways, kind of priming your body for fat storage, uh, regardless of caloric intake. You know, some lose it, a very small percentage of the population, the majority of us, we end up, you know, gaining weight or almost effortlessly at that point, you know, of course, in a resulting in a really bad result, right? We don't want those extra pounds. No, nobody wants those extra pounds. And they certainly don't want to trade their muscle mass for those extra pounds. Because just as you mentioned, cortisol mobilizes glucose by way of breaking down your muscle tissue. And then you break down the muscle tissue, then you immediately transfer it over basically to your fat cells. It's like you're trading muscle for fat. Yeah, right. And we both have heard about patients telling us that they exercise a lot and they can't lose any weight, right? As we've said many times, exercise, regardless of the type of exercise, is a type of stress on your body. And the more aggressive that exercise, the more stress that is putting on your body. Uh, and as you just said, uh, we, you know, we've established that cortisol is a very powerful catabolistic hormone. It's going to break down your muscle tissue. So by doing predominantly, and this is my bias, of course, by, by doing predominantly a aerobic type activity, you're going to get a rise to cortisol, you're going to catabolize your muscle. And in some ways, you're you're kind of setting yourself up for failure that way. You're you're burning calories in the moment, but you're burning the wrong kind of calories. You're burning a combination of glycogen because you have some leftover in your liver and your muscles, and then you're burning glucose from muscle tissue breakdown, which is in exactly the two fuel sources that you don't want to use. What are you trying to do when you're exercising? You're trying to mobilize your fat stores, but if you're doing it that way, uh, it's never going to work. You're going to be burning the wrong fuel source uh, while you're exercising. Um, that's why we always promote more of a resistance-based, um, you know, training method as a way to build and adapt muscle uh, because now you don't get as much of a, an independent rise of cortisol uh, and you're not breaking down that muscle tissue as rapidly. And with cortisol, I'm sure you're listening to this thinking, well, you know, we all have stressful lives. We live, you know, we live in this country. We're going to get emails. We're going to have time management issues. We're going to have deadlines. We're going to have family stuff. You know, we've got the IRS. We have bills. You know, we all have stuff that, that kind of brings a little stress, which ends up raising up our cortisol. So it's not like that's going to go away. So the whole goal is to, well, how can I kind of 
balance that cortisol or basically balance the ups and downs of cortisol or try to keep it at a little bit of a lower level, you know, so we don't want to bash on cortisol and act like there's no answer because there definitely is. Um, so I know in our future podcasts, we're going to talk about ways that we can minimize and balance a lot of these metabolic hormones so that we can promote, you know, the fat, basically the fat burning rather than the fat storage. Yeah, right. Well, and that's ultimately exactly what we're trying to help everyone with. And that's what everyone's struggling with is that balance. How do we get everything done in a day, in a week, in a month, in a year, uh, and still have that, you know, kind of calm, relaxed environment that is more weight loss friendly, right? That is a really hard balance. And, and then again, as we talk about, if we circle back to that exercise argument, we do a lot of things to push and push and push and push. We're always going, moving, doing something, burning calories. And in some ways, that perpetual motion is exactly what's causing the problem or inhibiting you from achieving what you want to achieve. Uh, and, and as older as we get, both men and women, when it comes to stress and activity, less is always more, right? There is a fine line there. And I think it's different for everyone. A lot of the fitness industry experts and gurus, you know, more is better, boot camps and, uh, you know, really high intensity training. If you're going to do that, your frequent, your, if your intensity goes up, your frequency has to go down, as you just said, as a way to kind of modulate the rise and fall of your cortisol levels. Uh, you know, and really what is stress? Like you said, we have a lot of stress in this country in a variety of different ways, but is any of it life-threatening? No. And most of it is not life threatening. Now, maybe if it's, you said the three letter word, you said the IRS, you know, that might feel no. like it's, you might, that sometimes feel like it might be life threatening. No. But even that, even as, as bad as the IRS or as spooky or as, uh, you know, as uh, much of a reputation as the IRS have, even that is not life threatening, yeah. right? We're not going to die from the IRS. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to throw us in jail. They're not going to walk us away in handcuffs or anything like that. We might have to pay a little bit more money if they come knocking or want to do an audit or something. But um, still, you know, stressful. But not necessarily uh, on a core level. From a survival perspective, we're still going to live and come out the other side. So stress in general is a perception. Uh, and some of the uh, an episode in the future we haven't planned it out yet, but we're going to talk a little bit more. We're going to expand off the adrenals and talk about the HPA axis, the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, which is how the brain and the adrenals are connected. Because you can't really talk about the adrenals without talking about the brain. And like you were mentioning, the life that we live in, nothing is going to kill me. You know, um, there, an email is not going to kill me. You know, family drama, as much drama as it is, is not going to kill me. But the thing with cortisol is it also pans into the epinephrine and the norepinephrine because epinephrine and norepinephrine are secreted for those life-threatening um, situations, for the lion is running at me with its you know, jaws open, the life-threatening situations. Now, granted, just like Dr. Mackey said, is we don't have life-threatening situations, yet we still do have that cortisol rise and we also have that epinephrine and norepinephrine rise. Yeah, right. And now we could probably make some jokes about uh, you know, uh, life-threatening situations in response to the election. You know, some of the campaign activities that were going on, there is some nonsense, uh, you know, during the election. And I know there's been some protests and, you know, there's certainly violence and there's certainly dangerous situations in the country. But, you know, for the most part, we live in a relatively, you know, safe country, right? We don't have to fear uh, our safety on a regular basis. So, you know, you're right. The 
the need or the requirement for flight or flight responses should be relatively pretty minimal. But again, that, that fight or flight response is a involuntary response. It's part, uh, it's kind of attached in some ways to what they call the sympathetic nervous system. And you have this involuntary part of your nervous system called the autonomic nervous system. And it has two divisions, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. Sympathetic is the fight or flight. Parasympathetic is the rest and digest. And we spend a lot of time in America in the sympathetic side. We don't spend, well, I take that back. Maybe some of us spend a lot of time on the parasympathetic side. There's some very ambitious driven people, but then there's maybe some people that are, you know, maybe a little lazy on this, on the same token. It's not the parasympathetic is lazy. It's just more that rest and relaxation and cellular turnover and sleep and digestion, which sounds really nice. Yeah. So, you know, if you think about it from a, you know, from a practical perspective, you would think in normal circumstances that a sympathetic stimulus like exercise would help you lose weight. Right. And the parasympathetic would not. Uh, but I think in reality, it's it's becoming more apparent that we need as a society and from a weight loss success standpoint, we need more parasympathetic stimulation and we need less sympathetic stimulation. And the sympathetic stimulation that we do get needs to be targeted and focused particular type of workout or exercise or something. And then we focus on the relaxation side. So you get this kind of rise and fall to those, to those hormones. Then our body does what we want it to do. Because epinephrine and norepinephrine, that's the, that's the high fight or flight hormones that are secreted from the adrenals. That's, that's the, I'm going to die right now, or if I don't fight it, or I don't run away from it. But because that's not actually probably going to happen, then that mobilizes even more glucose. And so you're sitting there. So if any of you have ever like one example, I was talking to Dr. Mackey about earlier, you're right. It is weird to call you Dr. Mackey, (laughs) but earlier was, you know, I was driving in the car, you know, I see a cop car. Of course, I'm probably, I don't normally speed, but I might've been going a little bit over. So, you know, you get nervous all of a sudden, And then, you know, he drives away and nothing happens and I'm still driving down the road going home, but I'm kind of shaking a little bit. Like even my legs are shaking a little bit, but I'm just sitting there. Of course, that's the epinephrine and the norepinephrine that just like went right through my body, but I'm still sitting there. So it has no, you know, I'm not utilizing that fuel. So what's supposed to happen, of course, with that epinephrine and norepinephrine was that was supposed to help me like run away from whatever was trying to eat me, but instead it's just coursing through the system. You have that happen repetitive times. That's where the, the, the hormonal control kind of gets out of whack and then causes us to gain weight without even really eating anything. Yeah, right. So you're stressed out on a perpetual basis, this this constant stimulation that is making those hormones go up, and then you go exercise on top of that, right? That's where it becomes uh, overload. That's where the system become, tends to get broken a little bit, and now it creates exactly what you're trying to accomplish. It makes you gain weight. It makes you tired. It makes you can't sleep. It does all the things that you're trying to improve, and people can't figure out why, right? There were 25 and they're able to do it, right? They're, those mechanisms weren't quite broken yet, but by the time they get to be 35, 40, 45, 50, those mechanisms have been kind of worn out a little bit. And there's been another decade or, or more of that kind of hormonal stimulation and the same strategy doesn't work any longer. 
and really with all of that happening, it all comes back to that that main hormone insulin. Because anytime, you know, we always talk about glucose, you know, blood sugar, blood sugar, blood sugar. Um, but really it's that it's the impact that insulin has on that whole process. Too much, you know, a lot of insulin from too much, you know, repetitive stressors causing the glucose to come up, even though I haven't eaten, and then you throw some food on there, like some sugar, glucose is high, insulin's gonna be even higher. And what does insulin do? Insulin's that fat storage hormone. So when you think about like Dr. Maggie was mentioning, you know, a 19, 20 year old they can run around like crazy. They can eat milkshakes and French fries and not have any issues, even though that's causing a you know a higher rapid rate of of glucose. It's just that insulin over that insulin burden over time. So it so when you check somebody's um, insulin, you know, fasting insulin most of the time across the board, regardless of what age you are, unless you have diet, you know, you have diabetes, uh, most people's fasting insulin are actually pretty good. You know, they're under under 10, but that still doesn't mean that they don't have an insulin burden. So you check somebody that might be in their 20s, you check what we had talked about in the previous um, podcast number 11 about that glucose insulin tolerance test, somebody in their 20s, that insulin is still low after they've eaten that milkshake. You know, their insulin still really doesn't go that high, but it's the person in their mid 40s after years of stressors and maybe years of eating more sugar over the years. That's where you see the, the issues with insulin. Yeah, right. And that's and that's the part in medicine in general that is not being looked at. And that's why we're talking about it. That's why we're bringing it up. That's why we're giving some of this background information to kind of illustrate where this gap is uh, and why we, you know, talk about it so much. You know, hopefully this is stimulating. This is interesting. This is good information. Hopefully we're not just rambling on and not making any sense. You and I as professionals, you and I as healthcare providers, um, we see these kind of issues and how they manifest in people on a daily basis, right? And we see kind of where the, you know, the core issue is, you know, and to be honest, these hormonal based problems, not the sex hormones, not the estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, but these metabolic issues, the insulin, the cortisol, the thyroid, you know, granted, there's a lot of other ones that we're not really talking about. Um, but we're, we're noticing that these are the, you know, really where the core issues from come from. And from a conventional perspective, the ther- uh, pharmaceutical treatments for those or manipulating those don't really exist. That's why they're not really talked about. That's why they're not focused on as well. Uh, because there's really, it's very difficult to modulate your insulin. It's very difficult to modulate your cortisol. It's very difficult to modulate your epinephrine. Um, that has to be done a little bit more through uh, diet, through lifestyle, and possibly through supplementation. Um, I can't think of really hardly any drugs. Now, there's some diabetes drugs that are out there now that do some crazy things to blood sugar and insulin levels and receptors and enzymes. Uh, and some of the newer ones, I'm not even up to speed on some of them because I think uh, some of them are a little bit out there in left field a little bit. Some of them, you know, conventional types, the ones that have been around for a long time, even like metformin, you know, metformin is uh, kind of tried and true and there's a lot of benefit to using metformin. But uh, that's where, you know, and I'm not really sure if that's why there's this big gap because people are focused on what they can, you know, what the system has been set around without realizing it. Um, but, you know, that's why we're, you know, talking about it in these contexts because, you know, ultimately, I mean, you and I see it all the time. What does everybody want to accomplish? They want to lose weight. They go to their primary care doctor 
doctor, he, you know, he says just eat less, exercise more. He doesn't really have an answer for them. Uh, and even you and I, you know, we've um, worked with a lot of people over the years and you and I sometimes don't even have all the answers when it comes to weight loss, just because this situation is just a little bit different for every single person, genetics, lifestyle, circumstance, diet. You know, there's a lot of factors there that it does need to be somewhat customized. But when we look at it in the context of all these hormones, we're all human beings. We all have these same hormones on a regular basis. And because we all live in America, we all live a relatively similar lifestyle. So we can kind of start to reverse engineer a little bit and figure out where where we can intervene and have an, have an impact. Exactly. There's no drug that you can take that's going to all of a sudden, you know, balance my cortisol, balance my epinephrine, my norepinephrine, balance the HSL, the LPL. There's, there's no drug out there, which is why, you know, there's not a lot of information on this. If somebody, like I was mentioning about, you know, somebody having a little bit of a higher insulin burden, they're not quite diabetic yet because that's the, that insulin resistance eventually leads to diabetes type two. So you check someone's fasting insulin, it's fine. You check their fasting glucose and it's fine. People do fasting glucoses all the time. And we had talked about it the last episode is people are in their nineties and they say, oh, well, it's in range. It's under a hundred. So you're okay. Or maybe it's even at 102 or 105. Oh, not too bad. But truly, if you, their insulin is elevated, it's the doc, you know, conventional doctors will wait until that glucose is up there at, you know, 120 to 140 fasting before they treat it. At that point, like you had mentioned, I don't, I, I don't want to say the word broken, but that whole insulin issue has gone to a point where it's very hard to return from. Yeah, right. And that's when the warning signs, if you know what you're looking for, the warning signs have been there for a very, very long time. You know, so when we're talking about all these hormones, we're talking about the pancreas, we're talking about the adrenals, we're talking about the liver, we're talking about the brain, we're talking about the muscle tissue. These are all the different tissues that are being affected by these hormones. And, you know, it causes changes to them over time, uh, you know, and that's why it becomes so complicated, right? That's one reason why we're talking about it in general. Uh, so in the last one, we... Uh, we mentioned a group that we're starting, uh, the insulin testing beta group. Uh, we don't really have a clever name for it yet, but yeah. that, that's what we'll call it for now. Insulin testing beta group. We'll, we'll go with that. It is precisely to do exactly what we're talking about. We have a list of about eight or nine tests that we're going to do, uh, including the insulin response to glucose. That's the one that you take, you drink the sugary stuff. You're at the lab for four hours, which is a huge hassle. So we're putting that out there in the first place. If you're if you want to know, you're going to be at the lab for a while. Uh, if you don't want to know, then you won't be at the lab for a while. Uh, but that is the piece that really provides the most information. And, you know, that's a challenge because most people do not want to go to the lab for four hours. And if a doctor does make you do a glucose tolerance test, which is, you know, uh, most pregnant women have done that before, they never test your insulin levels, okay? And in some ways, the insulin is way more important than knowing those levels than even knowing the ins the blood sugar. Who cares? Honestly, who cares about the blood sugar? That does that means nothing. As you said yesterday on the last episode, that's a result. That is not the cause. The insulin is the cause, and that's the piece that needs to be looked at. And if you're having trouble losing weight, if you've been doing anything and everything, and you're not having any success, then this is going to shed some light to see how broken that system is. Okay? After a you know, response to glucose, they, the lab usually gives like a 100 gram unit of uh, this sugary substance, which is not great. It's not ideal. It tastes terrible. It's you know, really 
insulinogenic, but that's the point, right? Uh, so you see how high your insulin goes up in response to that. And I've seen a couple of a couple of these tests where people, their insulin level goes up to 180 units, um, where a normal in, a pancreas on a regular basis uh, after a meal should go up to be somewhere between 30 to 60. Uh, and I've seen it as high as like 180 plus. But they might have, and this, that same person might actually have a, a normal fasting insulin. Or even a, like you said, the glucose is the response. When that insulin three hours later goes up so high, what happens to their glucose? Their glucose actually drops lower out of range. So then, of course, that's why people say, well, when I eat something, like I have patients that tell me, well, I don't like to eat breakfast because when I eat breakfast, I get hungry, you know, two hours later and I have to eat again. And then I end up just eating all day. And that's that response is that response of glucose to the elevated insulin is your glucose ends up being lower than it was to begin with. So you want to eat again. That's why people just don't eat. Right, 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 right. Uh, so uh, again, back to our insulin testing group. If you're, you know, this is our first attempt at this group. We're looking for approximately 25 people, give or take. Um, that's a good amount for us to be able to manage. Um, we're going to do... We're going to do a live training once everybody has their test results. So it's going to take a while to get everybody into the group, get your testing done, get the results back. And then from there, we do a live training that is going to go through. We're not going to go through everyone's individually, but it will be live. So you'll be able to interact with me. Uh, you'll be able to talk with us. We'll be able to, you know, you'll be able to ask questions. We're going to try to do it in a live fashion. So it won't even be a webinar where you're typing things in. Um, we'll actually be conversing back and forth via, um, via a webinar technology. Uh, you know, so these types of, uh, test results can be interpreted and you have a, you walk away with a very clear idea of, is this a, a moderate risk, a low risk, moderate risk, or elevated risk? Uh, and in some ways, depending on how bad your results are, they are bad, then you're, you know, you're at that stage of pre-diabetes. Uh, not to mention, as I met, as we talked about on other episodes, there's a whole slew of other conditions or problems that could come up as a result of that. Uh, so if you're interested, you want to join the group, uh, go to Progressive Health com backslash it as an in insulin testing uh, again that's progressionhealth.com backslash it uh, the show notes for this episode will be at progressionhealth.com backslash 12 uh, you'll be able to find the link for the group there as well and uh, you know um, we're hoping to interact with you if you're interested the cost of the test uh, we're not charging for the group itself but the cost of the test is 249 dollars that will gain you access to the group and um, we'll see what happens from there and if we get a good turnout and there's a response that people enjoyed it and got some value from it and were able to learn something, then we'll probably open it up again in the future. But for right now, this is going to be a one-time group. So we'll see how that goes depending on the response that we get. That sounds super exciting. So we'll definitely keep you posted with that. But yeah, everything will be on the website. So if you have any questions about that, just go to the the link that Dr. Mackey had mentioned. So I think we're out of time for this one. We talked about cortisol, epinephrine, norepinephrine, but we're not quite done with the metabolic hormones. So on our next episode, we're going to talk about some other metabolic hormones and proteins. Right. So again, the uh, URL for the group, progressionhealth.com backslash IT. And uh, any other questions or any other comments or any other anything to say? No, no. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah. We'll catch you next time on another episode. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Progress Your Health podcast. If you like what you've heard on this podcast, please give us a positive review on iTunes. This allows us to spread our message, grow our audience, and help more people around the world. For more information, visit our website at ProgressYourHealth.com.